Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape. Good day, everyone. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner at Momenta Partners with another episode of our Edge podcast. And today we have a special guest. This is uh, Rami Avedon, who's the uh, former CEO of Wireless Group and Tele2 IoT. He's, uh, uh, he's, he's an expert in uh, a whole bunch of areas of technology and business and uh, highly accomplished. It's going to be a, a pleasure to d- dig into his, his background, his views on the, on the market today, and we'll, uh, we'll take, a, take a look at the future as well. So, Rami, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Ed. Thank you for having me. So, first of all, I would like to dig in a bit on on your background and get get a bit of context. Could you share uh, just share a bit of your of your background? What uh, you know? What are the experiences that have really shaped your view of the Internet of Things? Sure. Well, I'll do a very quick um, sort of uh, high level CV summary for you. But so so basically, I've been an entrepreneur for the greater part of my uh, professional career. I started several different companies, uh, predominantly in tech and predominantly in IoT. Um, I started an um, IT security business many moons ago uh, that I took to the Swedish stock market that did encryption. Um, I was also one of the founders of uh, a company called Wireless, which was acquired by Core in the US a couple of years ago. Uh, and I sat on that board and uh, also was the group CEO of the business for uh, approximately two years. Um, so, so a lot of startups, um, and of course, my last uh, stint was roughly six years at Tele2, a Eurasian uh, telco that does cellular and fixed line connectivity to uh, both the consumer but also the b- uh, business markets across those markets. Um, and I started um, an IoT business for them, uh, which became a very, very large business, basically, uh, operating in the space of IoT. Um, and I just left uh, now close to, uh, what, three and a half weeks ago. So um, weird for somebody who's been, um, you know, uh, having the last nine months uh, detailed uh, plans in the calendar. Uh, now I'm sort of uh, having a, f- a few months of R&R before my next stint uh, with the family here, which is nice. You know, I've got two, uh, two small kids uh, and a lovely wife. And so, of course, uh, it's nice for them to see me uh, um, a little bit more. So that's, uh, uh, that's lovely. So basically... An entrepreneur uh, and an intrapreneur uh, that have done a lot in the tech space, um, but more importantly in the IoT space. So I've been in IoT now for uh, it's close to 20 years. So that was way before it was called IoT, way before it was called uh, M2M, way before it had any name actually. Uh, so you could say that I've been part of shaping this industry. And, and I would argue what shaped my view uh, of this space, uh, I mean, obviously, um, you know, what I realized very early on is that um, businesses, but also normal people like you and myself, um, you know, we, we, we go through a lot of changes consistently in our lives. Um, businesses um, are, especially in today's world where the world is becoming much smaller, uh, they are faced with, with uh, very fast-changing technology environment, fast-changing competitive landscape. Um, and, of course, to be able to cope with all of these things, I, I think, you know, companies uh, and individuals need to become much more digital, right? Um, and so I think um, IoT is going to play a significant role for many of those uh, companies to be able to actually stay competitive long-term, right? Um, and then, of course, if you look at a, a much larger scale, you know, if you look at the globe today, you know, we, we, we live in a world where we have some significant problems, right? I mean, there are, a, I shouldn't say a majority, but a very large portion of this uh, planet, they don't have running water, they don't have electricity, they don't have enough food to, to feed themselves or their children. 
Um, I think technology can do a lot to help in these, uh, for, for these people. I think we, we, we should absolutely use technology where, where possible. We also see huge levels of urbanization happening uh, around the world and for, for uh, countries and cities to be able to, to manage the level of urbanization that is taking place. I think uh, digital solutions is going to be fundamental. We also have uh, healthcare issues. Um, where not enough people have access to healthcare, but also people that do have access to healthcare, you know, uh, they might not get the right healthcare at the right time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also think uh, um, digital solutions will help um, uh, in those areas as well. So I think, you know, I think uh, for me, I'm, and you know, I'm, I might come across as a bit of altruistic here, but but that's not actually my point. My point is that. I believe that these technologies are going to help businesses to become much stronger and make much more money, but also have an altruistic touch to it. You know, should we be able to produce our uh, uh, products and solutions in a much more environmentally environmentally friendly way, i.e., using less uh, of the world's resources? I think we're onto something very interesting that is going to benefit everybody. Actually. Yeah, Does Rami, that make sense? Oh, absolutely. It, it's uh, and and I think your point is uh, it, you know is really resonating pretty broadly. Uh, just at IoT Solutions World uh, last week, there was a um, a presentation of uh, I believe it was an ex, uh, an Accenture study, um, or sorry, it was a, a Deloitte study that had. Um, identified that uh, 86% of businesses see the role of business uh, improving uh, the uh, equality globally, you know, that that, that businesses will actually play a greater role in, you know, achieving, uh, you know, real social impact uh, rather than uh, governmental agencies. Of course, uh, what's, what's interesting is that very few of them believe that they have the have the talent to uh, to achieve that. But absolutely seeing this uh, and, and it may be a bit, a bit of a generational thing, too. But the, uh, you know, certainly the, you know, the blockchain community I, I've seen is very focused on social impact and uh, just just uh, one of our prior uh podcasts with Kelly Wanzer uh, focused on the use of technology to address, you know, environmental challenges and the challenges of global warming. So I, I think this is it's it's encouraging now that we're sort of getting, uh, you know, getting getting our focus uh, way above the, you know, just solving t- technology problems and, and business problems and, and looking more broadly. So uh, that's yeah. And I think, you know, what I think um, uh, when you build a business today, right, I mean, uh, any business is built up of uh, people and I think uh, you know when when you're the owner of a business or when you're the CEO of a business you know the the single most important thing that 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 you need to do is to ensure that the people that uh, are engaged in your company may they be employees or suppliers or customers or partners or whatever they may be you know there is a higher goal than simply making a lot of money uh, as well I think that goes a long way to build to be able to build a culture, uh, a we against the world mentality, uh, something that that sort of brings that extra spice into into any type of business, right? And so I think it's the combination of that, and you rightly uh, pointed out a new generation. You know, if you if you do if you read the studies of you know the millennials that are sort of coming out into their workforce now, you know the, these guys and girls, they 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 are not necessarily driven by working long hard hours and making tremendous amount of money i mean look everybody wants money but i think that they also have an altruistic vein to themselves that perhaps uh my generation and perhaps your generation doesn't right and i think that's um something that we have to understand and we have to adapt accordingly uh but personally if you want my personal opinion here I want to be able to leave a legacy for my children. I want to be able to tell my children when they grow up that, you know, your dad, he might not have made an enormous impact, but he actually pulled his weight. He did what he could uh, to actually help the world to become a better place. And I think that's something that I'm extremely proud of. It, it really is. Uh, it, it, it is just notable how you know how important that that that's that's becoming. Uh, you know, to, 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 with people like you, entrepreneurs and uh, and 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 workers as well. I think it's uh, it's a real positive development. Um, I wanted to just go back uh, and, and and drill a bit into your uh, your experience because, uh, as you'd mentioned, you'd been in the uh, really been in the connected industry, M two M or I. IoT business really before there was a, a 
definition for it. Could you could you talk about some of the business problems early on uh, in in your career that that led you to uh, to de- you know to develop solutions or connected solutions and and talk about some of the challenges that uh, that you may have solved early on in 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 your career and early on in the industry um, that you see you know really resonating and building a foundation for uh, you know for for some of the more significant uh, value creation that we're seeing today. Sure. Well, I think, um, you know, um, first of all, the IT space, you know, it, it's, um, it's a pretty name for a lot of different things that comes together, right? I mean, IT is typically built up by uh, some sort of hardware that goes on to some sort of type of assets that hardware then can communicate using, you know, multiple different barrier service, may that be cellular or Wi-Fi or fixed line or NFC or whatever it might use. And then it transmits that information into some sort of database. And then that database sort of puts that into some sort of application layer and storage layer and management and analytics layer, right? So that, you know, and somebody then has to sort of put all of these things together, typically the system integrators or application service providers and, and, and offer that as sort of verticalized solutions, if you may, right? So, so that there are a, a lot of different components to it. And I think historically, when we started off uh, in this business, um, you know, it, it, it was very, um, well, for, first of all, you know, it, it was, it, it didn't exist, right? So there were no standards whatsoever. You know, everything was proprietary. Um, the pricing was, uh, I dare to say today, um, you know, that they were extremely high. You know, I would argue that most of these components have dropped with uh, close to 90% in cost, right? And of course, uh, that that opens up a lot of new use cases that wasn't simply feasible at that point in time, where, you know, you go back 20 years, right? Um, so I think um, what, what we had then was uh, technologies that didn't work together. Uh, every single piece of deployment was basically unique for that customer because there were very... I would argue that there were no standardizations, uh, so everything was proprietary, um, and the commercial uh, developments have gone in the right way for everybody. I would argue, um, you know, the suppliers in the industry, uh, including myself, have obviously been monitoring the um, the sort of um, return or ARP reduction rate uh, over the years. But obviously, you know, I think. Um, the reduction of, of price and cost for the customers opens up a lot of new use cases. So instead, you get volume, right? And I think this is the IoT space today is a volume space. You know, it's it is not about uh, being able to charge a lot for a little, right? You have to charge a little for a lot. Uh, and I think that's the model where 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 uh, everybody has moved into. I think. Um, what we are what we are starting to see today, and I think um, that was probably prevalent uh, in the beginning when we started as well, and that was that you know customers, um, i.e. The, the people using these solutions, at the end of the day, somebody has to pay for it, right? What we've been very poor at, and I think we're still not good at it, and, uh, and obviously when we started, we didn't know how to handle it. Was the fact that you have to be able to prove value. You know, nobody is going to invest in a technology or in a solution or in an offering or in anything unless they believe that they're going to be able to extract some sort of value of it, right? And I think we're now at a point where we can actually summarize the values that uh, the players that have implemented these solutions in, in their businesses have been able to extract, you know. Uh, what type of uh, cost optimization can I can I uh, can I expect if I do X or Y or Z? What type of new revenues can I uh, expect if I um, take a new solution to market to our customers and you know have it uh, in the servitization model, for example? And I think we're in a place now when there is a lot of um, reference cases that we can lean on to actually prove the value creation that these technologies have. We didn't have that in the beginning, right? And so that, of course, posed uh, huge problems. We, we had to really engage with the companies that were uh, very innovative uh, and not especially risk-averse, um, companies that basically took a, uh, took a leap of faith. Uh, in wanting to um, sort of dissect and understand uh, this space. I think what we need to do today is to unlock um, 
all of that value from a communication perspective. And I think that's something that most vendors, especially, are struggling big time with. You know, we, we, and I'm uh, no different, right? I mean, everybody's talking about the great things that we're connecting up and uh, all of this stuff, right? But, but very rarely do we come down to nuts and bolts of the numbers. This company implemented 500,000 of these devices in their fleet of cars or in their trucks or whatever it might be, and they actually saved X or made Y uh, new revenue streams, right? And I think that's where we need to get to. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and when you think about, uh, and when you're thinking about communications, I mean, how, how do you, uh, I mean, do you have a, uh, a framework for looking at, at uh, attacking a business problem, a, a, you know, a connected industry problem from a, uh, from a communications perspective? I mean, what are the, what are the key considerations, uh, whether it be you know you know technological or, or business flow that you you know that you look at when you know as, as assessing how to how to effectively uh, you know address and, and advance you know real value creation. Mm-hmm. Well, I think first of all that, uh, that depends very much on the customer, and I think uh, a lot of the vendors uh, or suppliers in this industry or the players in the ecosystem, if you may, they they focus very much on their technology. They focus a lot on their products and their offerings. Whether I think, you know, and I think that's potentially one of the reasons why we've been successful at Tele2 IP at late, and that is that we don't actually focus on what we take to market because it's irrelevant. The only thing that actually makes sense is to sit down and talk to the customer more on a consultative basis and understand what are the business pain points what are the issues that they want to solve in the future uh, of this business, right? And then, on, uh, of course, you then have to have an offering that you can cater to their requirements, right? Uh, and I think this is where a lot of the businesses really go astray here, when they focus more on their own solutions than on the customer's uh, business, point, uh, business pain points. And so I think... Um, from a, and, and, you know, if, I, if I'm purely focusing in on the connectivity side, I mean, the beautiful part of IoT is that without connectivity, there is no IoT. It's really that simple, right? You, you can't connect up a hardware if you, don't, if you can't connect it, right? I mean, uh, a, a car or a payment terminal, whatever it might be, needs some sort of bearer service to be able to transmit its uh, bits and bytes. So, you know, there are uh, a few of these uh, parts of the ecosystem that are, excuse me, there are must-haves, and connectivity happens to be one of them, right? And so uh, if you focus in on connectivity, then when we, or when we, when Tele2 IoT or wireless or any of the other connectivity players uh, approach uh, uh, a customer, you, you, you need to, you know, you need to understand the customer's pain points. And then on the back of that, you need to understand what type of connectivity and what type of solutions do they require to solve those pain points. I'll give you a typical example, right? If you're a, um, if you're a uh, fleet company, right? You, you, you own uh, 10,000 trucks or so in your fleet and you, uh, the whole uh, concept around that is that two things, right? One, you want to be able to know if the truck is not feeling especially well and you need to send it into the garage for a fix up. And you want to be able to communicate with the driver where to uh, pick goods up and where to leave goods, right? I mean, that's basically the nuts and bolts of, of uh, why fleets want to connect up their assets. Now, in that environment, it, you, you can understand that the amount of data is not massive, but it's not small. Uh, the typical uh, fleet company uses anywhere between, you know, uh, 5 to 20, 50 megabytes per month, depending on what type of solutions they're running on their, uh, uh, in, in the vehicles. Um, but of course, you can't go LPWA, you can't implement Sigfox, you can't implement LoRa. I mean, those, those solutions are simply not catering to the business problems or business requirements of, of that business. The only real viable solution for that specific um, uh, customer is a cellular solution, right? As it's typically moving, as it needs to utilize a a little bit more data. But then of course, on the flip side of that, should you want to connect up the goods that are in the back of that truck? Well, maybe then the cellular network isn't the right type of barrier service for that. That may may very well be some sort of NFC solution that the customer might require. Mm -hmm. Um, So so does that make sense? You basically need to, to... to understand the customer, to be able to to sort of package the solution that you're going to offer the customer. Yeah, no, there's uh, no doubt. I think that that there's never there's no one size fits all in in 
uh, communications no. technology, certainly, right? And, um, what, can you share some uh, some significant events or or, uh, or or people you've worked with that have that have had a uh, important impact uh, on in in shaping your view of the of the world? Yeah. Um, so I think it's more events rather than people. I think um, you know uh, what. Well, what I think uh, became prevalent for me uh, before starting Tele2 IoT in, uh, back in 2013 was that the industry was extremely fragmented. And there isn't a single player under the sun, not Google, not Apple, not Amazon, not Microsoft, not IBM, nobody that in their own right can deliver an end-to-end -end IoT solution. Right? They have to work with a whole host of players. So I started uh, very early on to speak to all of these players about ecosystems, about partnership. And I think, um, needless to say, today I would argue that probably Tele2IT's ecosystem program and partnership structure that they today take to market is probably you know, one of the best in the world. And I think the events that, that led up to that was that I spoke to, to a variety of customers. And basically all of them said, look, who do we engage with? How do we do this? You know, there is 10,000 different hardware manufacturers. There are hundreds of different connectivity providers. There are numerous databases and platforms and solutions and application service. But how do we do this, right? And so I think what that led to for me was the understanding that what you need to do is to be able to create an ecosystem where a variety of players work together to create solutions together to be able to offer that to customers. And uh, the underlying thinking here is this, right? If you build an ecosystem that uh, uh, basically help each other, and I think it was Steve Ballmer at Microsoft that coined the concept synergetic symbiosis, right? You know, they built the Windows platform and then uh, and the office on top of that. And then, of course, you had all of these ISVs that could build their software plugins to their solutions, right? And so they lived off each other. Windows and Office wouldn't be the same without uh, all of these plugins. And, of course, these plugins wouldn't be able to sell their solutions if Windows and Office wasn't there. So it's a very synergetic and symbiotic relationship. And I think that's basically what the ecosystem in IoT has become today, right? You know, the IBMs of the world, Watson and the Microsoft Asia platform, I mean, without hardware manufacturers out there, they're actually producing connectivity devices that, that can connect up assets. There will not be any data to be managed in those platforms. And without the operators and other connectivity providers, there won't be any ability to, tra to transmit that information into the database from the hardware. So I think that there, you know, the events that led, led, led me to be a strong advocate of um, the ecosystem report was a number of dialogues with a lot of uh, uh, CXOs on the, on the customer side. And they basically told me, look, this is very complex for us. How do we put this all together? And so if you then have an ecosystem where you can point into, well, here are five hardware manufacturers that are really great. Here are three platform providers that are really great. You do introductions to those, and they can then sit and pick and mix by those that you have introduced to the table. You know, the customer is very happy because you're steering them in the right direction. But also, of course, the power partners that you introduce to the table, they're very happy, which means that they introduce you into their customer base. And here you go, all of a sudden, you've got this sort of uh, cycle that is happening where everybody's gaining from working together. Right? So I think for me in the IoT space, though, the, you know, having those very early on conversations with those customers really shaped my thinking of how one needs to act in the space of IoT and how, uh, as a player in the ecosystem, how you need to build your solutions, how you need to construct your company from an organizational perspective, how you need to be able to actually package the solutions and take them to market. And I think, um, and, you know, and by the way, I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm just saying that it absolutely works for a lot of companies that have implemented that type of strategy today. Are, are there any best practices or, or uh, 
uh, approaches that you've found effective in, in, in managing an ecosystem over time? Because the, the challenge, of course, of, of having to uh, you know, deal with a lot of different uh, you know, types of uh, suppliers and partners and, and vendors uh, is really is over time is, you know, how, how do you how do you ensure that that, uh, you know, that that an ecosystem yeah. is cultivated and and ensure that that you know, partners are are actively engaged? Yeah, I think that's a very good uh, uh, question. I think uh, it's compartmentalizing to, to a couple of different areas, right? I think, number one, to get something, you have to give something, right? So I think you have to build a model that allows your partners that interact with you to not only come with business your way, right? You have to come to them with business as well. But, and that means uh, orchestrating uh, marketing events and joint uh, customer dialogues. And you have to invest in the ecosystem to be able to get uh, anything back from it, right? So I think that's sort of the baseline of it, right? Uh, this notion of just signing a partner sort of document with, uh, with a company and then hope that they are going to give you uh, a lot of business, that sort of simply does not uh, work anymore, right? So I think that's, that's the baseline. Then, of course, you have to then have a technology that allows for a variety of partners to interact with it. So it needs to be open. You are not necessarily talking about open source here, but you need to be able to be integratable and you need to be able to integrate other types of solutions with your solutions. And I think a lot of the solutions out there today are very proprietary and very hard to work together with. And I think if you look at the, um, the technology world, especially within customers today, you know, they have a myriad of different IT solutions within the organization that they want to be able to work with. Um, and so you need to have a technology stack that is very easy to work with by external parties. So I think that's a second thing that is uh, very important. Then thirdly, you need to find a commercial model that allows you to work in that specific way, right? Um, that means that, you know, in, in an ecosystem like this, you typically work in many different uh, dimensions. Sometimes you may have a direct customer contract and you actually send an invoice to a customer, i.e. the end user. But very often you also potentially sell into a system integrator or a reseller or a distributor or a system, you know, whatever it might be. You, that means that you have to have a commercial model that allows you to sell through multiple different types of channels. And that's also very complex, right? Especially for telco. That's why telcos in the beginning of IoT, they, you know, excuse my French, they sucked at it, right? Because mm -hmm. telcos come from a, you know, uh, let's invest in a big network and then we package it in small, medium, large. And every, everybody that doesn't fit into small, medium, large, well, basically they can't buy from us, right? That's why you had a myriad of um, uh, IoT connectivity resellers, such as Core, for example, in the US, right? That, that popped up and wireless for that matter, uh, because they saw a need to fulfill a seg segment that the telcos simply couldn't or didn't want to interact with. And so, you know, I think you have to have all of those three components in an ecosystem. And then of course you need to spend time with the ecosystem. It's time consuming. Uh, and so you need to build an indirect team that manages that. Um, and it's about relationships. It's about solidifying those relationships. It's about making sure that uh, we bring as much value to them as they bring to us. That's how you drive an ecosystem long-term. Now, a few words of warning, because a lot of uh, people think that building an ecosystem goes really, really quickly. You know, it takes a long time, you know, before you got, get the snowball rolling properly. It takes time to educate the ecosystem of where you play in it and how you operate with other ecosystem players. It takes time before you have solidified your position there. It takes time before enough players in the ecosystem have recognized you as a player they want to interact with. And then of course, it also takes time before you together with the ecosystem have been able to cultivate the customers that are actually ultimately going to pay for it, right? So it does take time, but I would argue that it's a very cost efficient long-term uh, model of how to drive and act in the space of IoT. That's uh, that's really that's that's really insightful. Um, one of the 
uh, points you just made was the uh, the the emergence of of connectivity resellers uh, really filling a gap in the market where the you know the carriers were just not uh, they were they were missing or they were failing. Could you? I mean, from your experience, could you talk about how the uh, the the larger carriers have evolved and and you know ultimately what what were they doing wrong in the uh, in the early days and and you know, is that changing? And is there is there hope for uh, for some of the bigger carriers? Uh, you know, what do you think they can do well? And and are are there are there some other areas where uh, there you know there's there's still opportunity for uh, you know for players in the market like uh, like Core and others to um, you know co- to continue mm-hmm. to add value? And how ha- and how do those sure. players continue to ev- to evolve? You know, given uh, sure. given the evolution sure. in the market. Well, I think, you know, first of all, there are different uh, breeds here. I think, you know, in the, in the early days, uh, it, I, I, you know, it made sense uh, for the operators. I mean, the big telcos, uh, such Tele2 and AT&T and Vodafone, not to cater to the, the, the customers that didn't fit into their model, right? Because they were scared of building up a, a huge legacy of, of businesses that they couldn't manage in their OSS or BSS, right? Um, and so... I understand why it started off the way it did. And then, of course, that gave enough space for the likes of wireless and core and uh, wireless logic and some of these other sort of VARs out there. Uh, now, of course, if you look at it today, you know, the telcos have gotten their act together. They, Most of them, at least, have understood that this is sort of a place that you, 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 you know, you, you, you need to, to be able to control as much of the connectivity landscape as you possibly can, which basically means that you, a lot of the larger telcos don't necessarily work with many of those resellers. There, there are fewer and fewer of those around, but larger, right? Uh, some of the operators have bought some of the smaller uh, VARs. Um, some of the other VARs have sort of uh, merged together. So they're I think that the landscape has changed radically over the last sort of um, two to four years, and I think it's going to continue to to evolve in that direction, right? Um, then I think if you look at the existing VARs, you know, what, what I think they have to do, and I think most of them have understood that not everybody has ventured and pivoted towards that yet, but I think they have to, and that is more into IT services side. And that doesn't necessarily mean vertical-line solutions. That can be a lot of other solutions in, in the IT space around connectivity and, in, and around in the IT space, right? You know, analytics and billing and data management and data storage and security. There are a whole host of other solutions one can get into that doesn't necessarily have to be verticalized, right? Um, so I think that's what the VARs uh, need to do now. The telcos, on the other hand, you know, um, I think uh, some of them have gone down the vertical route, and I think that makes sense for some. If you're an AT&T and you're predominantly basically operating one continent uh, where there are four other operators, you know, it makes sense uh, for you to have a vertical approach. But if you're a Tele2, for example, operating in uh, in a continent where there are four operators in each state, right, you know, it's a completely different dynamics. And then you have to be thinking differently, and I don't think it necessarily makes sense for that type of an operator to go down the vertical route. Uh, there it makes sense for that type of operator to work with an ecosystem that can take verticalized solutions to market. So I think the operators um, have to find the model that suits them. And I, I, and, you know, I had a conversation the other day with, uh, with another uh, operator in Asia, and, you know, we had a conversation and, and they, said, they said, so what is the strategy that we, that, that, that should be implemented if you're a telco? And I think my answer is this, there isn't, a strategy for the telco market. There is the strategy for the for that specific player, right? So you have to build the strategy for the telco, depending on who they are, what are their strengths, what are the weaknesses, what is the competitive landscape in the markets where they operate, right? And I think that they are fundamentally going to differ from each other, right? It's really that simple. Um, then I think there is a whole host of regulatory aspects that is coming into play now as well. Um, I'm not necessarily thinking of GDPR, but more about, you know, um, on a global scale, we're, we're seeing a huge influx of security uh, sort of geared regulations 
talking about data generated in a market, can't leave the market, and um, uh, basically a, a whole host of data privacy aspects. Now, that of course puts a huge toll on all players in the connectivity space, large as well as small, right? How do you cater to that? How do you connect up on a global scale, uh, an automotive manufacturer, for example, and he, he wants to be able to connect up uh, vehicles in Saudi Arabia, in Brazil, in Russia, um, as well as across Europe and US. And, and there is a whole host of different regulations here. You know, in Saudi Arabia, for example, data that is generated in Saudi Arabia is not allowed to leave Saudi Arabia. The same happens in, in, in Russia. I know that Germany is talking about the same thing. What that then means is that you are then faced with regulatory barriers that you need to overcome using technology, right? That's why, for example, tele iot launched together with Nokia the, um, the distributed cloud core infrastructure, which basically allows customers to, to connect up assets anywhere in the world and, and actually deploy a telco-grade core in that market to allow for the data never to leave, right? Uh, now, I'm not here to sell Tele2IoT solutions, as, as, as you rightly said, I've just left uh, the CEO position of Tele2IoT. I'm just stating that there are a lot of things that are happening on the regulatory side that is going to drive technology adoption, uh, both within the telco community, but also the reseller community. Well, there's a lot of difference uh, by industry too, of course, right? And and the you know the requirements for healthcare and financial services and and consumer are are all going to be uh, informed by you know, by different regulations in the different regions. So you know, as you look at some of your experience in uh, in different industries, I'd, I'd be uh, interested to get your your take or your insights on uh, some of the dynamics that that differ in terms of uh, the the adoption rates and the uh, you know the technology savvy and and also the you know the willingness to change across different industries in in your view I mean who's who's doing well who's uh, who may be lagging and where, where are there some big opportunities ahead yeah and I think uh, there's not going to be one answer here because I think it's going to differ, right? Um, but if you think on a global scale, you know, that there are a couple of verticals that are growing still very, very fast and keep, you know, keep on uh, gaining momentum. I mean, the, the whole connected car space, of course, is, is, you know, the one that is leading the way here, right? I mean, all the car OEMs and truck OEMs are connecting more and more of their assets as we speak, right? Uh, for a number of reasons. Um, you know, Dieselgate is only one that, you know, one recent event that is sort of driving that, right? How, how do you, how can you de-risk your business at the same time that you're lowering your potential costs and increasing your revenues, right? And I think the OEM car, car OEMs are, are definitely looking at that. And I think many of them, are doing a really good job. Some of them, I think, potentially not. And I think when the, the players that have uh, and are successful here, they have a very clear strategy. They know what they want to achieve. They know what, how they're going to do it. They don't necessarily know exactly when they're going to achieve what, but they know what they want to do and how they want to do it. And I think that's very important. I think this goes across all implementations. If I look at all uh, the thousands of customers that I've interacted with over the years, I think, you know, there are a couple of red lines here uh, for those customers. I think the overwhelming one is that the customer that knows what they want and how they want to do it, i.e. they don't look at technology, they look at strategy. What is it that we want to do with our business long-term? They are the ones that are going to be successful. The companies that start looking at technology immediately rather than to look at the business values, they are the ones that fail. And, you know, it sounds really very simple when I say it, right? But it's so easy to get sucked in to talk about technology because it's easy, right? Um, you know, what hardware do we need and what type of connectivity do we need and which platform should we be using? But it's irrelevant. It's completely and utterly irrelevant. Whatever it is that you want to achieve today, you can do so with technology. What you need to figure out is what do we want to do and why do we want to do it? Then you look at exactly how should we do it. And so I think that's uh, an important takeaway. And so whenever I uh, speak to customers, you know, I, I, I never want to talk technology. I want to talk about strategy because I think that's the only thing that matters to them long term. They get the strategy right, everything else they can fix. 
they get the strategy wrong, basically they're screwed. Um, so I think that's uh, a very important uh, takeaway. Now, coming back to the verticals the, uh, and the various industries, so I think, as I said, the, the um, uh, car OEMs and the truck OEMs, of course, uh, leading the way here. But I think utilities is another one that has done a lot in this space for many, many, many years. That was obviously driven originally from um, a regulatory perspective. And of course, today, it's a cost-driven cost exercise for them, right? How can we ensure that we deliver the quality of service and the control over our infrastructure, but with less people? It's really that simple, right? And the answer is connecting up smart meters and the grid and whatnot. And how do we do spot trading in the best possible way to ensure that we retain our margins, we increase our margins, right? Then, of course, you've got a couple of other industries that have sort of latched onto that. And I think security is another, uh, you know, with the home alarms and business alarms and CCTV cameras and, and uh, whatnot. And I think that that vertical is now extending into, you know, connected doors and uh, door locks and uh, fire alarms arms and uh, all of those type of things, right? Um, and so I think uh, that industry is, is also growing uh, nicely, um, not to mention the fleet industry. I think fleet, which is tightly connected with the truck OEMs, right? But I think the fleet industry is, is growing really nicely. And here you should know that, you know, on a, on a global scale, you, you're looking at, you know, well, I, I, I think I read a report the other day that said that around the world, you know, there are less, there's less than 20% of all the trucks on the roads that are actually connected. Can you imagine? I mean, you should, should just think about the massive opportunity on the existing uh, uh, vehicles that are out there. I mean, it's just massive opportunities, right? Then we come into the, the industries that I think are going to make a difference long-term for this planet. And I think healthcare is one. Uh, healthcare is going to absolutely require a revamping of how we how we deliver it. Uh, we are going to have to be much much smarter, and I think healthcare is going to have to adopt uh, the digital sort of era, uh, whether they like it or not. And that means, and I'm not necessarily talking in the OR, right? I'm talking about other things, you know, if you're a, dia a diabetic person, you know, you should be able to have real life monitoring on yourself or your kids or whoever it is that's suffering from it. Uh, if you take medication, you should be able to have it digitized so that uh, it's automatically ordered when you take the sort of uh, uh, second to last pill, it's automatically ordered for you. So you have the stock that you require to stay healthy. Uh, you know, all of those type of things, I think uh, is going to have to, uh, have to happen. Uh, and then coming back to what we talked about in the beginning of the urbanization, I think a lot of these cities that are faced with a lot of new uh, people moving into them, I think they are going to be, you know, they're going to have to look at digital solutions to improve the environments in the cities. And, and I'm not talking necessarily purely about the mission and the infrastructure. I'm talking about everything from schooling to uh, hospitals to transportation included. Uh, you know, there, there is a whole host of, of uh, areas that that. that uh, that uh, the digital space is going to be able to create real value for those cities, right? Uh, and so that's basically where, where, where I'm at here. Yeah, I wanted to uh, circle back to a point that you were making that I think is really uh, just 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 critical, which is the the idea that it's that solving problems isn't about chasing bright shiny technology objects right but but really understanding business problems and and being able to shepherd through digital transformation and i think this this broader theme of you know whatever you want to call it digitalization or digital transformation is uh it is it's strategic it's uh it, it encompasses the organization and it and and very rightly technology is important but it's not it's not a really a primary uh, factor in determining success like the technology choices aren't aren't as important. From you know, from your perspective, as you've looked at some of your clients that have that have successfully been able to navigate a transformation, and if you're talking about say a, a, a business that's introducing connected products or connected services for the for the first time, are, are there some are there some common characteristics of uh, of an organization or or you know the 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 role that that leadership plays in uh, yeah. in, in helping to align an organization to, to really think differently than, than, they, than they may have, sometimes for decades or, or, or even longer. 
Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, you hit you you, you hit the uh, head of the nail there because it's, it is about leadership. So, you know, uh, actually, I tell it to IT. We did a very large study of hundreds and hundreds of our customers, and we looked at the ones that uh, were both successful and not so successful. And we looked at what you know, is there some sort of red line here? Uh, between the ones that are successful and the ones that are not. Um, and what we realized was this. The companies that were successful, they did a couple of things. Number one, they were very clear that this is a strategic discussion, not a technology discussion. This is going to fundamentally uh, impact everything, every single piece of our business. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing that they did was that the, they didn't start uh, sort of the digital discussion, the IoT discussion in some sort of uh, technology division somewhere down uh, in the cellar of the business. This was a CXO discussion. This was in the leadership team, right? This is the CEO, the CFO, the CTO, the COO. You know, this is their discussion. They have to all be aligned on what they need to, uh, to achieve here because if you don't have the leadership team behind you 100% when you do digital transformations, you're simply going to fail. It's enough that one person in that team doesn't stand behind it and doesn't support it fully for it to crack. Right, so I think that's that's the second thing that uh, we realized. You need f full and utter uh, commitment. The third thing that we saw was that the majority of those companies that were successful, they they incubated the digital transformation. They didn't actually sort of push it out into the line immediately. What they did was that they started. Uh, you can call it a center of excellence. You can call it innovation on the edge. You can call it a startup within the large company. What they did anyway, they gave a small team with a very strong leader the ability to innovate and to, to work under different processes and structures than the general business. Why? Because when you're in that space, you need to be very agile. And typically, the larger companies, uh, you know, even if they want to all become agile, and you know, sooner or later they will, they don't have a choice. But it, you know, they still have their processes of reporting and structure of uh, of everything, basically, right? And so, if you want to transform your business, you have to give them a very clear mandate to a small number of people to start that transformation outside of the business or on the edges of the business. And when you've started understanding the benefits and how you are going to actually change the entirety of the business, that's when you push it across the entire uh, uh, business. And when I mean the entire business, I mean the entire business. You know, this is, not, you know, the best way to actually digitize a business is actually not to start digitizing your, uh, your offering that you sell to customers. It's actually to become a more digitized business yourself. You know, putting in software robotics or digitizing the way you do your, um, what do I know, your salary payments or how you do your time uh, management and, uh, you know, how you book rooms. That's the best way to digitize a business because you're actually doing it inside and out rather than outside and in. And I think uh, that's what we also saw very much on these businesses. That they, they don't only try to sell digital solutions to their customers, they actually adopt digital solutions themselves to, to sort of, um, you know, drive the digital thinking in every single piece of the business from the finance department to the HR department to, to the sales team and the technology team, obviously, right? So I think that's, uh, that's uh, the final piece. Um, and then what we also saw uh, uh, was a very important driver here was companies that looked upon this digital transformation as cost rather than investment, they all simply fade. Mm. Why? Because... If you look at it as a cost, everybody is going to have a very negative connotation and people are going to simply chase dollars and euros every single day, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, by the way. You should be bootstrapping for as much as you can. But the way to look at it is that unless we do this investment and that we can pivot our business, and that doesn't mean that if we're a trucking company, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be a trucking company, but you should be a digital trucking company. And that is about pivoting your business. Now, that demands investments. It's not about increasing your cost base. It's about investing in the future health of your business. And so those were the common denominators that we saw among all of those businesses that, uh, that were actually uh, very successful. Now, you take one out of those out, and it fails. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's that's great insight. I I, I guess you you mu- you must have learned uh, a lot from that uh, from that we study. Did, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I would like to, you know, you know, despite our, you know, our focus on you know, the importance of organizations and and priorities, uh, I, I I wish I would would like to to turn to technologies and future technologies, just because there is a, sure. you know, there has been a lot of discussion about uh, the potential impact of uh, of AI and machine learning and blockchain uh, as potentially transformational technologies. And of course, the the hype machines are working overtime and you've got lots of people, you know, raising a lot of money and, and, and jumping into new projects with the, uh, um, you know, with, with, with certainly a lot of optimism uh, and some trepidation that we may have some, some disruption down the line. But I'd, I'd love to get your impressions of, you know, what, the what the impact of uh, you know in particularly AI and, and blockchain can be at least in enabling you know new types of value and uh, business models sure. going forward. Sure, uh, and I think you know um, needless to say, all of these technologies are going to be long term very important uh, in this sort of digital transformation that is happening uh, across the world, right? Uh, there, is, there is no discussion. Um, now, the interesting thing is, uh, um, you know, when, when we started off with M2M and IoT, you know, it was a very standalone sort of industry where we, I shouldn't say structured, but it was very clear, you know, you have a hardware, you have connectivity, and, you know, you, you then may have had some sort of application that sort of ran that. Um, but of course, all of these technologies are merging into some sort of digital mesh now, right? Where they're all in- interacting with each other in one way or another. And I think we're going to see much more of that happening. And I think, you know, machine learning, you know, we've had machine learning for many, many years. It's just that we didn't coin a concept around it and that we, you know, we, we didn't, as you rightly put it, we didn't hype it, right? Um, and I think, um, you know, AI and machine learning are, you know, it, it's something that is uh, growing exponentially simply because there's a lot of value in it. Um, if you if you can, um, and I'll give you a, a, a typical example here. Uh, you know, what, what is it that AI really does? Well, basically, AI is basically taking a lot of human knowledge and you put it into a database and then you allow it to self-learn, right? You allow it to extrapolate and become really much faster in making uh, predictions and determinations of what is going to happen pending on its history um, that it's uh, seen, right? Um, And I think if you look at um, what Google is doing with CAPTCHA, are are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the interesting thing with, with that, of course, is that uh, Google is uh, using CAPTCHA to solve what they talk about a problem today, which is this sort of when you go up onto a website, you, you identify yourself that you're not a robot. And to be able to do that, you sort of you get these questions to please uh, identify all the road signs or the trees or the vehicles on, on the various pictures here. And you do that and, and they say, thank you very much. You're not a robot. You can buy or register on this website. Now, what they're actually doing at the same time, which they actually haven't told anybody, is that they're crowdsourcing the world's largest database for the autonomous driving um, uh, machine learning and AI solutions. Um, Because, of course, what they realized is the more real uh, information they have from us humans, the the better their AI and machine learning solutions will become long-term. And so they're educating their own system with us, right? And I think we're going to see a lot more uh, on this going forward. I think we are going to see a lot of companies solving a problem, but also generating a lot of data into those systems going forward. Which are the use cases? My God, there isn't a single use case under the sun uh, that won't utilize AI and machine learning going mm-hmm. forward. You know, if you think about vehicles, you think about you think about the industrial uh, space, you think about healthcare. I mean, they are all they're all going to be there. You know, you've got uh, healthcare solutions today that are running purely on AI. Um, you know, there are these, uh, I forgot the name of it now, but there are a couple of startups that have implemented these sort of AI solutions that basically can, buy, you know, you take a photo of yourself in your, on your face or your leg or whatever it might be, and they, they, they come back and tell you how you're feeling, right? On the back of an AI-driven uh, uh, database. And I think that's pretty damn phenomenal, actually. Right. And I think we're going to see a lot of those uh, use cases. Yeah. When it comes to blockchain, yeah, go on. 
Oh no, that was just, uh, that. I, I think what you've highlighted is uh, absolutely on point, particularly uh, you know the AI implications in um, in healthcare. Just hugely yeah, transformative, sure. hugely transformative. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to take a few years before you know um, you and I and everybody else is using that widely day in and day out. But you know we're actually already using it without actually knowing it, right? But uh, but it's going to come more and more um, day by day. Now, when you talk about blockchain, it's a little bit more convoluted. Um, I, I personally believe in that type of technology uh, and what it solves. And I think the use cases here are going to be endless as well. It's going to take a little bit more time before it's widely adopted everywhere uh, for a couple of reasons. You know, what are the commercial models look like? How do you implement it? And the technology constraints of some existing systems to operate together with it. And, and so there are some of those constraints, but that's going to be ironed out over the next sort of three to five years. And then you're going to see, um, many more blockchain solutions uh, coming into uh, into effect. I think you're going to see that in the sort of financial industries. You're going to have uh, automated uh, payments happening uh, left, right, and center. You know, I saw a very um, interesting talk by uh, by a futurist that he had uh, gone and met with Tesla. And he said that, you know, Tesla is thinking about implementing blockchain in their cars. Uh, for payments, and I said, okay, well, I was thinking about tolls and whatnot on the on the highway, right? But now he said, you know, the interesting thing is in in uh, spaces, uh, in big cities, for example, you think about San Francisco or New York, right? Uh, you have these big highways with four, five, sometimes six or more uh, lanes, and so of course everybody is driving everywhere. Now, if you're in a hurry and you drive in the fast lane, you can actually automatically put the button, push a button in the Tesla that will tell the car ahead of you to move over for $10 cents so that you get a free lane, huh. right? I mean, that's, uh, that's the cool stuff that blockchain would bring to the table, these automated transactions between assets without us even um, potentially even knowing about it, but sometimes actually acting upon it ourselves by pushing a button or something. No, it's, that's, that's pretty incredible. So, um, hey, yeah. are, are there any uh, interesting application areas or, or startups that are, you're keeping your eye on that are uh, at, least, at least worth highlighting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, uh, of course, um, you know, when you're the CEO of, um, of a business such as Tele2IT or Wireless, for that matter, you know, you, you have to be paranoid at all times, right? So you have to keep an eye on what's happening in the startup community and where they're focusing on. I think where some of the players are focusing right now is on, um, you know, the standardizations. The, there are a couple of very interesting startups that are looking at, how, you know, how do you create middleware solutions that allows for a variety of different types of solutions to talk to a variety of other solutions um, without having to have people actually doing API integrations. How do you simplify all of that? And so I think uh, a space in general that I'm looking at uh, heavily is the simplification, because I think the IT space needs simplification, um, especially on the technology side. So I think there are a couple of interesting startups uh, out there that are simplifying how you connect up assets, but also how you integrate the data flow from different systems into other systems, um, you know, with sort of uh, live, uh, almost like interpreters, right, that are interpreting one protocol into another protocol and transmitting the data into the new protocol on the fly. I think those are, those are extremely interesting areas, and I think, you know, uh, those companies are going to be bought up very, very quickly. So I think that's one very interesting uh, space. Another um, uh, interesting space that, uh, and this might not be uh, as interesting uh, to, to uh, the listeners of this uh, pod, but is the space of testing. You know, having build, built a number of businesses where you basically have a lot of engineers building a lot of cool stuff. You know, uh, what people tend to forget is that the thing that really takes a long time is the actual verification of, of the codes and the product, the testing part. And I think that there are a lot of interesting startups that are uh, building these automated testing solutions. And not only automating them, i.e. finding a fault and reporting fault, but actually fixing the fault, i.e. writing code by itself. 
<clears throat> fixing the problem that, that, that it's found, uh, depending on what it is that they want to do. So I think that's another extremely interesting space um, that, uh, that I think is going to really uh, take off big time. So those are uh, those are two of the very interesting uh, areas, but of course there are many, many, many more. <laughs> of course. Well, anyway, this has been a, a, a hugely informative discussion. I really uh, appreciate all your all your insights, Rami. And I always like to I always like to close out the podcast with uh, with a question about a, a, a recommendation that that you uh, that we could share for our listeners, either a, a book or a resource that that you you find you would find worth worthwhile and sharing sure well i i did talk about being paranoid right so <laughs> uh it's a book it's it is a book called uh, only the paranoid survives uh it was written by uh andrew grove uh one of the founders and the ceo of intel um uh, and the book really talks about the fact that the world is moving really really fast uh, around you and if you don't move faster than the world around you you are simply going to die Right, so it is about being paranoid. It is about understanding how you adapt to what is happening around you and how you have to think and how you build businesses and, and drive that type of mentality within organizations. So I think it's an excellent read and it gives good insight into how Andrew um, built Intel and, and how he thought around it. So uh, my recommendation of the day. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I've heard of it and I, uh, many times, but actually never. Uh... Uh, never, never got a chance to dip into it. So I think this is uh, this is this is great incentive. It's so, a must read. Yeah, it's a must read. Awesome. Well, anyway, this is uh, wrapping up our conversation here. Uh, we've been speaking with uh, Rami Avedon, who is a uh, early pioneer in in uh, M2M and, and IoT, and former uh, CEO of Wireless Group and Teletu IoT. And this has been Ed McGuire, Insights Partner of Momento, with another episode of our edge podcast and i want to say uh rami thank you so much for your time i really appreciate all, all your insights it's been my pleasure thank you for having me thank you for listening to the momenta intelligent edge podcast we rely on feedback comments and input from our listeners so please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners.